0: Hey, everyone, it's Stevo from Not Another Bee Horrorcast, and you're listening to another great production on the 4 eye Radio Network. For more great shows, check out www.4iradio.com. up and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling me. Tingling me. Tingling me. Tingling me. Tingling me. Spider sense me. tingling me. Spider sense tells me I'm in for some trouble. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? It's a lock. <laughs> to listen to the show, find us on 4 and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. We are talking about Spectacular Spider-Man, and if you would like to follow along as we discuss, you can find it on DVD and Blu-ray. Maybe. They can be hard to find sometimes in those forms, but you should be able to find it pretty easily on most digital platforms for purchase. So hopefully if you want to watch it, you can find it relatively easily easily yep 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 one piece
1: of business we actually have an email or patreon message rather that we got from one of our patrons um, regarding last week's episode that i thought was both interesting and also kind of hilarious Um, so in our last episode gangland we there's you know a bunch of opera music in it obviously so we had some conversations about that and we're curious about it especially if anybody had any you know uh, education on opera or whatever um so lillian grimes sent us a message about it she said hi Derek and doug i'm listening to your newest episode now and i noticed you had some questions about the opera music incorporated in the fight scenes completely coincidentally i actually just finished learning about rigoletto in my music appreciation class
0: that's wild
1: wild timing <laughs> um uh well i think that that makes sense given what you said that it's like one of the most well-known operas so i guess if you're going to learn about any opera that'll
0: be the one but still i wish i could remember i was just listening to something that included opera music and it was it was also that and i was like i know this because it was also used in spider-man
1: i feel like now (laughs) i'm gonna hear it all the time like any i'm just i'm always gonna notice it now forever totally But she said, I looked up the English translations of the songs in the episode, and unfortunately, it seems that the score that was chosen for the episode was completely random. I know, I was disappointed too.
0: (laughs) That's so funny. So you sent me this message um, so that I could see that we got some info. And as I was reading it, I was like getting more and more excited because we talked about like we really want to know like if there's significance. And then when we <laughs> when she got to the part where she was like, and it was totally random, I like burst into laughter because yeah. I was getting so excited to find out like
1: <laughs> what it the meant. Wi- the wind up is so good, so good. The thing and so then it's good. like yeah, you're right. It doesn't
0: nothing, none of this matters. It's nothing. So. Well, in any case, thanks so much, Lillian. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was, that was really – that was a joy. Yeah, if, if you would like to s- – you can send us a message if you're one of our patrons. You can also email us. We send our email at the end of every episode, but it's Podcast at gmail.com. I feel like there's a lot of times where we don't fully do our research and are like, hey, does anybody know about this thing? Let us know. <laughs> so those are definitely cases where we would love to know, totally. even if it turns out that we were right and it means nothing. Absolutely. Oh well. And this is our episode 69. Nice. And the episode is called Subtext.
0: Double nice.
1: Perfect. Really, (laughs) really into it. We're in the very last arc of this entire show, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah. I think every episode for the rest of the show, I mean, every episode of this show is generally good, but every episode for the rest of this season is good and offers a lot to talk about, I think. So... I'm excited to talk about the whole rest of the show really. And I've got I've got plenty of plenty of things that have come up where I'm like we can do a spider bite on that. We can bring this up later. So, yeah. I'm just like it's weird because I don't want this to be over and I don't want this to be over for you, <laughs> but I'm also like so excited to be at the last episode and like be able to talk about the series like as a whole, you know, and like not have to hold anything back anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I'm simultaneously excited to finish it and not excited to finish it. Like, I don't want it to be over, obviously, if only because I know that it doesn't like properly end. But I'm excited yeah. to get to the end of it because I want to know where it did end up cutting off. And just based on this episode being the first of the final arc of the show, I can tell it wasn't written to be the final arc of the show. Like yeah. it's obviously written to be the final arc of a season of a show that is going to continue. You know, and obviously I knew that and there's plenty of things throughout two seasons of the show that indicate that. I mean, we just talked about Mary Jane being like in the early stages of her Mary Jane-ness. So there's like plenty of things, but it's still, it doesn't like change how weird it is to be like, well, this is the last arc.
1: Yeah, that, and I, I thought and that it doesn't I had have that,
0: the gravity of like a last arc. <laughs> I
1: had that in my head um when when we were talking, I guess it was last week. Was it last week or the week before? No, it was a couple, a couple weeks. It, ago. Was, it was a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the Mary Jane stuff. I was like, I had this episode in my head and it's just sort of like we're literally just about to get yeah. Mary Jane depth, like exactly what he was talking about. Like about
0: to dip into it. Just barely, probably.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just – yeah, it is – but, yeah, it's, like, f- sad and and funny. I do think that, like, once we get to the end of the show, I think there's so much where you can sort of see, even already, like, in this episode and then in, in the episode afterwards, I think that there will, there will be enough to chew on to see, like, where it's sort of like, okay, I can see, like, maybe where this is going, which sucks because, like, you know that you never will. But I do think it's, like – a cool thing about this show is that it sets up so much stuff in advance that, like, even if you don't see where it's eventually going to go, I think there is sort of a coolness factor that's, that's kind of unique to shows like this where – It was cut too early, but at least, like, you can still imagine a lot what's going to happen next because they set stuff up for the future so early.
0: Yeah, totally. You can see the direction it's going in.
1: Right, right. Like, even this episode, it's sort of like, I can see what, like, I can maybe imagine how some of these plot threads might come back up in a third season or something like that. Who knows? Sure. Yeah, well, let's get into it, shall we? Let's
0: get into it. It's episode 69. Yeah. Turn your lights down. Turn the yeah. music on. Yeah. Grab a glass of wine and follow Pizza Bagels on MySpace. We're getting sexy. Ooh. Ooh, that sounds amazing. All the good things. Treat yourself. Yeah, yeah. We are
1: talking about The Spectacular Spider Man, season two, episode 11, entitled Subtext. Ooh. The synopsis per IMDb, I cannot. I'm not going to be able to keep up any kind of sensual voice for this. For this. For this IMDb synopsis, the synopsis is Pete's teammate Marcus Allen.
0: Nope, um, and nope.
1: Is addicted to horse races.
0: Kind of. It's not.
1: It's not really wrong, I guess.
0: It's. It's a way to look at it.
1: Yeah. It's. It's a. It's it's, a means. yeah. 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 His bookie one of the green goblins crime barons offers him one out of gambling debts a single injection okay uh alas dr kurt connor's potion what
0: wait
1: he had nothing uh, to do I with c- that okay
0: i i kind of i kind of get it no there's a lot of didn't... reaches
1: here Okay, Dr. Kurt Connor's potion, sure, whatever, installs an armor of fire creating the Molten Man, whose glow is controlled by a device the goblin gets.
0: All right, hey, accurate statement.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. Spider-Man must counter, yet save the uncontrollable
0: arsonist. That might be the least accurate synopsis we've uh, read so far.
1: Yeah, that one's Nearly
0: everything about that was wrong.
1: That one, um, hmm, that was rough. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, the international air date was March 16th, 2009. The U.S. air date was November 4th, 2009. It was written by Nicole Dubuque and directed by Kevin Altieri. We have seen both of those names many times throughout this show.
0: Indeed. We are playing with pieces on the board. No one is really introduced in this, even if there are... Developments in characters that we've we've talked about. Uh, the only thing that I think might be worth mentioning, just because I don't think we have officially stated it, is that Blackie Gaxton, who is a major player in this episode, is voiced by Steve Blum. But we've talked about him before. Yes,
1: yes. I didn't realize he was voiced by Steve Blum, but, but it makes sense. Or if if you brought it up, I forgot because he does a nice I, little same. <laughs> nice, does a nice little Australian accent. It's fun.
0: The structure of this episode is cool i like it i think it is well done but it features a lot of flashing forward and flashing back yeah so we're gonna say flash forward and flash back a lot hopefully we do a good enough job that it is clear uh what we're talking about
1: <laughs> yeah it's so. funny it's funny too because this isn't this is an episode that begins like in imidious rest like I mean, it then, then flashes back a bunch of times. And it's funny, this is, this is the start of an arc featuring Green Goblin. The last season, there was another arc featuring Green Goblin. The first episode of that arc was Catalyst, which also started in Midius Rest and then oh, yeah. flashed back to how they got there. Obviously, it's handled very differently this time. And I think even handled maybe a little bit better, even if it's a little messier because of how often they're flashing back. But it's still kind of fun. Like, that seemed like a, an intentional little throwback.
0: I really felt good. At the end of this episode, finishing it and the way that it was all sewn together.
1: I agree. Yeah. They did a good, good job. And it's one of those, like, starting an episode like that is so tricky because a lot of shows pull that, like, when they have a story where the beginning of it just isn't that interesting, which is fine. But I think sometimes it can get kind of abused. Like, if you watch the show Alias, like, after a while, like, <laughs> they did it with every episode and it got really annoying. But I think, like, the key to it is that you have to make the situation in the teaser or in the opening act, like so completely like confusing to be in where it's just like, wh- who are these people? How do these people get here? What's happening? Like you have to make it so kind of like ridiculous to make it feel satisfying when it's finally wrapped up and you see how everyone got there. Um, and this episode does it well because it is, it does start off in a way where it's like, what's going on and it all makes sense how it all comes together by the end. I think really, really fluidly.
0: And there's a balancing act between those two things, right? Because if you start off in a place where you are confused and need answers, you have to balance that with getting the answers by flashing back and still managing to progress the flash-forward things without breaking what you're trying to, like, balance, you know? Because if you give everything away too quickly, then you're like, oh, well, now we don't need to flash back. And if you don't give anything at all and it never progresses, then you're like, okay, like, let's get on with it and just, like, flash back the whole time. So, like, this episode does a good job of progressing both of these, I guess, timelines in such a way that you're never like, okay, can we just, like, get back to the other thing? Like, it all feels like a smooth piecing together of stuff
1: yeah oh i fully i fully agree balance. it is a good balance yeah like the pace of the episode still works that would have been my fear with an episode like this is that it would feel really off balance or it would feel too confusing because like you wouldn't get to spend enough time in each flashback or flash or whatever but yeah. whatever they did they're just pros at this so it all it all really feels good. right like it all really yeah you're it all times out great paced out great and, it, and I don't feel confused or anything at any point of, of where we're at in the story.
0: Well, hopefully we don't fuck it up. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so the episode opens at the Big Sky Billiard Room or the Big Sky Lounge. Uh, I think it's referred to as both for some reason, Mm -hmm. where Blackie is pitifully attempting to put out a number of fires with a seltzer bottle. Cute. Chaos, right off the bat. (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) Spidey is battling with a new golden-skinned villain amidst the flames. If you're familiar with Spidey villains, you probably could guess who it is, but we'll name him when he gets named. And when he ends up, Spider-Man, is uh, tossed against a bar, he ends up finding that Mary Jane and Liz are hiding from all of this chaos behind the bar. Wow.
1: Yeah, right? Quite a way to start the episode. Was, yep. And just like the Green Goblin one, I'm just curious. Like, first of all, was it a case when it started? Did Could you tell that the episode was actually starting? Or was it like, oh, did my DVD accidentally skip to another chapter? Or did it just kind of go with it? Um,
0: I didn't really question it. Yeah, I just rolled with it. I just kind yeah. of was along for the ride. Did you know who
1: the golden skin villain was from this teaser? Or did you have to figure it out
0: afterwards? I did because... Yeah. Well, okay. I knew who who the villain was when I saw them because I saw that the voice actor, a voice actor we've already talked about voiced this villain. I didn't necessarily trust that they were the same person because I've been trying not to do that, knowing that people voice multiple characters, Mm -hmm. but I knew, I knew the name of the villain and I, was ready for it to be who it is based on the fact that the the actor voices two characters. Yeah. Not always the case like with Green Goblin, but um, yeah. it has been the case also. So.
1: Especially given <laughs> given the characters that are in the bar at the beginning. Yeah. Like, it's pretty yeah. Cool. Actually, I think it's fine, but you know what? It still works though, because like, you're still uh, like, like, oh wow, how did we get to this point? So like, it, it all works.
0: It does the, I mean, it, this isn't doing anything different than this show always does, which is throw things at you that you can draw lines between if you want to, but you being able to draw the lines doesn't guarantee you're right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's always enough that is unconfirmed. This is the thing I always talk about when Green Goblin inevitably comes up at all in this show, is where I'm like, they're never confirming anything, mm-hmm. so everything is always technically open, even if I can always assume correctly. It's always well crafted in that way, and I don't think there's any exception with this. You see the people behind the bar, you see the character and the design a little bit, and you're like, "I bet I could guess who this is," but you could just as much be wrong and not feel tricked. Yeah. But all that to say, yeah, I knew who it was. <laughs>
1: yeah, which is fine. I was just just curious. It uh, wasn't yeah. a big shocker, and I guess if you know if you know the name, the real name of 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 the real names in the comics too, you could have figured it out. Oh, I. I
0: did not. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's not. I went and looked back because yeah. I was like, is that even his name? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, more on that More on that later. Yep. But this cuts to credits immediately. It's actually a really quick teaser this time. The credits this time feature Liz in the first spot and Mary Jane and then Harry. Hmm. Yeah. He is in this episode a lot because Green Goblin's in the episode a lot. <laughs> so, like. I don't know that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> even though I'm assuming that to be the case. <laughs> so, uh after the credits we go back to the bar briefly as Liz and MJ look on from their hiding spot. Spidey calls the new villain Molten Man. So there you go. And Liz flashes back to some point earlier. It's not totally defined. We get a couple clues later in the episode to how much time has passed, but it doesn't actually matter how much time has passed. So in this first flashback, she's at a theater rehearsal with MJ and Hobie. And the two girls are being chastised by Mr. Devereaux for lacking passion. And as he yells at them for, like, not being passionate enough, he also notices that Mark Allen is missing. And as he comments on this, both Liz and MJ look concerned. So, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we're being pointed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I like the fire in Liz's eyes when it zooms into her eyes to go to the flashback. Stuff's great. They do that a couple times in this episode. Yeah, and it's another case. Like, I mean, this isn't a surprise at all with this show. But like, some of the lines that they're saying that they're rehearsing for their for their play like lightly connect to to the show because Liz's line is that she kind of mixes up is talking about like school days, friendship, and childhood innocence. And you can view this as a loss of innocence story for Mark and maybe even Liz and MJ to an extent. So, just saying.
0: There you go. The Shakespeare's here, but wait till next week, gang. Oh, God. Yep. (laughs) Shakespeare is there. (laughs) Capital T.
1: And they do. Yep. Yep. And just to throw it out there, they do do one more, uh, or not one more, they do another Hobie joke because he gets, he was almost going to say his line in rehearsal and then he gets cut by the director before he can say it.
0: I bet he had so much passion.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) We'll never know.
0: So, we flash forward back to the fiery billiard hall, and Molten Man kind of just continues to trash the place, nearly crushing Liz and MJ in the rubble. Seeing them in danger, Spider-Man says to himself, I gotta get them out of here before they get hurt, pregnant pause, or learn the truth. And then we flash back from Peter's perspective. So... Peter, in his flashback, arrives at Midtown High with a rose for Liz, but runs into Gwen. Awkward. Mm-hmm. The two of them are sort of like, oh, are you waiting for Liz? Are you waiting for Harry? Um, and they agree not to wait with one another, knowing the awkwardness around their partners. And they sort of like separate ways just as the bell rings. Mm-hmm. So Liz ends up exiting the building. She actually tries to walk past Peter entirely without saying anything because we know that she's mad at him for legitimate reasons, Mm -hmm. but she actually warms up pretty quickly when he shows her the rose and apologizes and says, like, I just want everything to be right. Like, I just want to fix this. And she's like, I do too, because honestly, something needs to go right. And you're like, oh, what's going on, Liz?
1: Yes. Before we get to that, just want to point out this episode shows that Gwen's like makeover for Valentine's Day wasn't just like... A one night only yeah. thing. Like she's she's been fully redesigned. She's she's keeping her new hairstyle. She really
0: has. Yeah. I know that the the makeover was like sort of a gradual natural thing in the beginning of the season. But then once yeah, once MJ's makeover of Gwen hit, it like still kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Like there were a couple points where I was like, Oh my gosh, that's right, that's Gwen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah. I mean she looks I mean she looks good. I don't love that she looks just a little too much like Sally because of how their bangs are. Yep. That's the only downside, but it works. And I like she's got a cute little like mini skirt on, she's rocking a sweater vest. Like she's 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 feeling herself out. I appreciate it. She's more confident now.
0: And like it doesn't make I mean it's Making characters look too similar is not great for animation. But if you want to be in-universe, Sally's a popular girl. She probably has a popular haircut. MJ knows what's cool, knows what's hip, gives Gwen a popular haircut. Bam. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it makes sense. And
1: I do think it also, like, it's it's obviously, it's always a little bit, like, touchy and a little bit problematic when it's like we give a nerdy girl a a makeover and now she's hot but i don't feel like that's really so much the case here because gwen's whole arc has been like kind of gaining confidence and the fact that like Mm -hmm. she could have just put her glasses back on and chromed her hair in the way that she used to if she wanted to but the fact that she's like still rocking Like, her blowout (laughs) and her contacts outside of going to a formal get-together, like, shows that she's just, like, you know, trying out her own thing. And I think that's really cool. Like, I think that makes sense for what she's been going through.
0: Well, and it was never handled like a magic makeover. We even talked about when she steps out of the car, I was worried, like, oh, no, she's going to be, like, sexy bombshell. Mm -hmm. No, she's not. She's, like, cute teenage girl wearing hip clothes. Yeah. like That's what she is. And then it's not like she suddenly – she doesn't get, like – the hip-swinging, like, <laughs> walking down the hall, like, turning heads moment yeah. that, like, magic makeovers give you. Like, none of that's happened. She just, she just, like you said, has slowly been gaining confidence, and all these pieces have just sort of been attaching themselves along and the way. And it's
1: realistic. Like, that is a part of growing up is sort of, like, you figure out, like, what your actual fashion is, and it's sort of like, oh, I think this hairstyle looks good on me. I'm going to wear it. Like, you know. That's why I think people people only get hotter once they get – once they hit at least 30 and then keep going from there because it's like you got to have the confidence and you got to like try stuff out. You know, you get to a point when, uh, when you don't look awkward anymore and I think she's – you know, she's just working through that. It works. It's good.
0: They're all getting there.
1: They're all getting there.
0: So Peter asks what Liz means when she says she needs something to feel right and she shares that she's certain that Mark is gambling again, which we kind of knew – was a problem, and we kind of figured it was going to happen based on the interactions he had with Blackie on Valentine's Day. She says that he recently lost five thousand dollars. Holy shit, uh, on a horse race, and she knows this because he ha- she has the the like gambling ticket, the the bet ticket. I don't know how gambling works, <laughs> um, but she has the thing. She's got the receipts. Yeah, and she says the last time he was that much in debt, he stole a car, which is what landed him in juvie in the first place. So she's obviously worried that her brother's going to end up back in the same shitty position he was in before. And it's all presented like very seriously. And like from a perspective of like concern, not necessarily like recklessness for recklessness sake. I don't think we've ever gotten that vibe from Mark.
1: Yeah. And, and it's not like with judgment either. It's just sort of like, it's actually treated like a legitimate worry because she doesn't want her brother to get in trouble again. It's all, I think it's all, it's all treated really well. I think.
0: Yeah. I think all the stuff with Mark is handled, like, quite respectfully. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. It's, like, it's not – right. He's not he's, – he's never lo- really looked down upon on this episode. Like, he's very sympathetic, um, and everybody in his life is sympathetic to him. They just, like, want him to stop making the bad decisions, but it's also, you know, very clear that there's sort of an addiction-type thing involved.
0: All the people that we're supposed to respect don't pass any judgment. Yeah. The people that we are not supposed to respect are shitty to Mark. And I think that's a clear statement, right? Like the people we're not meant to agree with don't respect Mark and don't treat him well. The people we are meant to respect care about Mark and are concerned about Mark. Yeah. And I think it's one of the things the show does really well is it always like makes its statement in uh, like clear but not uh, in your face.
1: Yes, absolutely. One quick thing because I know that you don't have subtitles on your – dvds for some reason
0: <laughs> yes. the
1: so the horse that mark bet on in this case was ulterior yeah. motive the captions spell mm-hmm. it as ulterior motive like a l t motive and i would say that that's just like a, a stupid misspelling in the caption except like peter does pronounce it as ulterior he doesn't say ulterior he says ulterior Which makes me think that it was actually written like that, which I don't really understand because I I did kind of look it up. And I mean, that is like a common misspelling for it. People do because they think that it's like ulterior as an alternate motive. So it's like understandable. But I was wondering if there's some kind of like joke or something there. Or a reference to something, because a lot of horse race names often tend to be like really dumb jokes.
0: Yeah, they're like puns,
1: right? Out. And I don't, I don't really get why that was the case here, unless the joke was that it's a misspelling of ulterior motive. Uh, but I don't know if I'm missing something there.
0: No idea. I just heard it and obviously assumed it was spelled. Properly. Yeah, I would have <laughs> too. It
1: caught my attention because it's such a weird looking word when you see it on the subtitles.
0: Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. Hmm. (laughs) so after liz and peter part ways from this conversation harry and gwen actually approach peter like pretty immediately after that and harry basically says like hey we overheard that which is a little awkward yeah i was like wait where did you come from like and (laughs) you were just like listening i mean i guess if you're right there you hear it but it seemed like an obviously private conversation (laughs) but anyway They overheard that, or at least Harry overheard that, and he asks for a moment alone with Peter, which at first I was like, that's a weird thing to do with Gwen right there, but she's cool, so she's just like, yeah, okay, I guess so, and then it makes sense, because Harry is like, hey, if this is an addiction thing, and it sounds like it is, which is where I think this this episode handles this all really respectfully, he says, like, it might be hard, or actually, I think he says, like, it's impossible to help Mark until he's ready to help himself, and and he's saying this from his own experience. I don't know that the show is trying to say that that is a hundred percent totally true. I have no idea what perspective they're trying to have or what experience they have. But at least from Harry's perspective, it makes a lot of sense for him to say this and to give this piece of advice to
1: people. Yeah, it really. Well, it's good. I think it's it's all really smart because we've kind of seen the resurfacing of the Harry addiction storyline kind of come up in minor ways. Yeah. Like actual presence of Green Goblin, like notwithstanding, like it's been mm-hmm. it's been referenced and, and kind of come into play as an, as an addiction thing. So I think it's smart to kind of connect those dots. And also the fact that this is a Green Goblin story arc. The first season's Gre- Green Goblin story arc had to go really heavy on all the addiction stuff. So if you're going to have a character suffering from an addiction, even if it's a very different kind of addiction than like a drug addiction – It's still it's still really smart to kind of entangle those themes and threads in this type of arc. It's 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 one of the one of the things that I think is a real advantage of this show's arc storytelling style, because it's sort of like, okay, well, we're going to have another character with an addiction story instead of it feeling like it's just a retread of what we've done with Harry before. We can make it very intentional by including it with an arc that is centered, kind of centered on a villain that was tied so heavily to harry's addiction in the first place so like it all it all kind of feels like the universe working together you know yeah. yeah it's great it's very writery but like i love it i think it's it's such a it's such a smart way to handle those types of things because you do see like comic book villains repeat themes and everything um
0: but it's natural though yeah. so even though it's good writing it doesn't feel writery in the way that it's like in your face like wow this is Like it doesn't – It does. like I don't know that if you're just watching it, you think about how clever it is. It just makes sense. Oh, no, you you don't. I
1: think that's why it works so well. Like I only think of it being so clever because we're like talking about it on a podcast, right? But it still works. And I do think that there is always a risk when you – they spent such a long time dealing so heavily with the addiction storyline for Harry in the first season, which is good. Like if you're going to deal with that, you have to deal with it. Properly and give the a lot of time to it. But there is always a risk where, like, if you have another story where a good person has an addiction that results in him becoming a supervillain, you don't want it to feel like a retreat. And it's a really smart way to handle that by almost calling it out that it is a mirror of what another character has already gone through.
0: Yeah. I think it helps that it's not the exact same type of addiction. Yeah. I think that's. That's a another piece in addition to Harry being present for all of this. Absolutely, that helps make it not feel like the exact same thing. Absolutely. In response to this, Peter <laughs> says to himself, basically, I don't. This might be inner monologue, actually, but he says, like, yeah, I agree with that. That makes sense. I probably can't help Mark, but maybe Spider Man can. And I was like, should I be worried? <laughs> like, yeah. I can't tell if he's like it, like not getting what Harry is saying, or if he's like has a has a, a a plan to tackle this from a different angle. So at the moment that this happened in the episode, I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be like encouraged by this or if I'm supposed to be really scared of what Peter's about it to do. It is a weird
1: reaction because it's like, oh, you mean your like, <laughs> like, persona that like beats criminals up, like is that yeah. what you're going to do to him? Like what what's the plan here?
0: <laughs> I was like, well, so is he going to tackle this from because he knows it's a gambling thing, is he going to try to tackle it from the other end and like not try to help Mark necessarily, but like I don't know, like, beat up the guys that are giving Mark problems. You know what I mean? And that's where I was like, that could go horribly wrong. (laughs) So I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to expect that or if I'm supposed to expect Peter, like, just completely screwing this up because he wasn't actually listening to Harry. That's where my mindset was, where I was like, I don't know what to expect. (laughs) This this could be two very different things.
1: (laughs) I think it says a lot for this show, this version of Peter Parker, where, like, you could have that reaction where, where you're not just going to assume that he's going to do the heroic thing. It's just sort of like,
0: uh-huh. ooh,
1: I've, seen, <laughs> you, you I've seen you in action before and screw stuff up. Like, is this going to be another – is this going to be kind of like another yeah. electro situation with you, buddy, where you just like make your own <laughs> enemy?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's great though. I mean, that, that's good stuff. It makes you makes you feel things.
1: Yeah. I mean, it adds <laughs> to the tension. You know, because you know where he ends, yeah. you know where he ends up, and it's like, oh, God, uh-oh. Well, yeah, and,
0: and you don't know if, right, you see where it, where it goes eventually, and you're like, again, I don't know if this is because you screwed it up. Yeah, because it's going to go badly regardless. <laughs> or not. Like, you know
1: that it's going to go right. badly,
0: so. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, like. It doesn't really, <laughs> but,
0: uh, I didn't need to be that worried. Is This is a story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: But you know, it's, I don't trust Peter much of the type, <laughs> uh, yeah. love him, but he's a little dumb sometimes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we do flash forward back to the present where, uh, we see Spider-Man helping Liz and MJ escape from the burning billiard room. This does like alert Mark to the fact that Spidey wasn't lying there. There were people that he knew there, um, that causes them to stop his rampaging because now they're in danger. Blackie watches, and as he calls after Spider-Man to help him too, that's when we get his flashback. Which I love that like it's not from just from the point of view of the main characters.
0: It's also yeah. like,
1: Blackie Gaxton has a flashback. It's great.
0: I think that's one of the things that helps it sew itself together in such a, a neat way. Like I think it's tidy because it's not always relying on just the one perspective. Oh,
1: that's a, that's a smart call. You're right because this can still be structured just like any other episode where we're, where we're going to different scenes. Like not every scene is going to have every single character in it or going to have the same one character in it. So it allows them the flexibility to still write whatever scenes they need to, to make it come together and just be like, as long as one of these uh, four, four, five (laughs) care, as long as one of these five characters are in one of the scenes, we're golden. So like, and and that's, yeah, that's a really smart way to handle it.
0: Molten even. (laughs) stupid that was stupid
1: (laughs) hey i couldn't even count how many characters were in one scene so like we're good we're all (laughs) it's fine but yeah so blackston blackston blackie gaxton (laughs) has this flashback to when mark is brought to him by one of blackie's enforcers to of course settle a debt mark insists that he can win the money he owes blackie on an upcoming race saying it's a lock blackie responds it's always a lock with you, kid. I can't do an Australian accent. Sorry. But uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, I wouldn't even. I
1: wouldn't even. Try. <laughs> yeah, no, not even not even going to not even going <laughs> uh, to try that. But yeah, so Green Goblin bursts through the door, of course, not of course, like well, I, I wouldn't have expected that. He just shows up to this <laughs> underground tavern like, oh, OK, Green Goblin's here now, guys. And he announces himself as the new big man of crime, which we saw established in the last episode. So everyone's like, okay, this is weird. He struts right through the bar. He's asking if anyone is still loyal to Tombstone, Hammerhead, Silvermane. And then, like, he mocks the master planner, uh, referring to his wonderful
0: personality
1: before shuddering.
0: I'm telling you, I love what they, like, wrote Doc Ock to be in this dynamic. Like, he has to mention him because he's important enough to be mentioned, but no one actually respects him as a person. (laughs)
1: That is, yeah, that's so interesting. Like, he's not only the new guy, but like, he is also a weirdo with a bunch of weirdos working for him. Like, he would be something that any of the major crime lords would look down on because he's so, like, it's not even that he's like undignified, he's just weird. He's just so weird.
0: He's a weirdo, he's a new guy. And he has no cred. Like, he has no cred, right? So, like, from their perspective, he's just a guy rolling up to the scene being a weirdo and demanding attention. And he just happens to have big enough guns to demand their attention, but not their respect. That's true, yeah. And that actually, that might be the best way to put it. And I don't know that we've ever articulated it that way. He demands their attention, and he always has it, but he's never demanded their respect.
1: yeah. And it makes sense from their perspective. He's never really like done anything because we've obviously seen him be a total badass and seen a lot of his plans like almost completely succeed. But because Spider-Man always foils them from their perspective, like he hasn't done anything. Like who knows if they even are aware that he almost took over the world with some cerebral like mind technology, you know, like
0: they don't know. Yeah, he exactly. He's, and he doesn't even have territory. He doesn't even have territory. Like, yeah. what does he have other than guns? And I mean, they're guns for sure, but like, that's it. You yeah. know? They're, it's like they're just pacifying him. And I love this moment because it really supports kind of what I thought they were doing in a much more concrete way than they've done so far. Yeah, that's so
1: interesting. <laughs> I love it. I love that they fleshed out the criminal underworld so so well, like so in such a detailed way.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that he also says Tombstone and Hammerhead separately mm. because that's like a recent development in the crime world.
1: Yeah. And we know that he's very fully aware of that situation. So, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fascinating. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. And such a in, the good stuff in such a little just a little like snippet of dialogue. They pack so much so much information mm-hmm. in. Well, you know, Green Goblin is also a total weirdo, and I don't blame anyone nope. for not liking him. So, everyone in the bar, except for Blackie, notably, everyone else in the bar tries to attack Goblin. It's Green Goblin, so they fail. Like, there's even a bit where, like, they're playing <laughs> Hot Potato with a pumpkin bomb before it explodes. I can only assume the last guy who caught it is dead. They don't show it, they just show it exploding, like, yeah. off screen. So, he just murders people right there. But he does notice, Goblin does notice that Blackie, like, doesn't attack him. And Blackie says he knows a winner when he sees one, and Goblin gives him a task. Blackie responds, I know just what you need, and looks at Mark, who is trying to sneak away from all this chaos
0: he's like crawling on the floor. <laughs> I mean, like I don't in the wide open. Don't I mean?
1: You know, he's a little—he's a teenager who just like I've, people have been yeah. blown up around him by like this green man on a hoverboard. Like it's—it's—it's <laughs> it's, it's a little weird. I—I I would be freaked out and crawling on the floor too, probably.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: Yeah. Uh, Goblin also when he's like when he's kind of inducting Blackie into his 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 his, uh, his gang or whatever, um, he promotes him to first lieutenant. Instead of lieutenant, is lieutenant a thing, or is that like a weird goblin joke?
0: Um, that sounds familiar for some reason, and I don't know why.
1: Oh, oh, oh! It's a, uh, it's, it's the British way to say lieutenant because they are.
0: So he's just being a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: It's, they're the <laughs> lower rank soldier on the left, protected by the senior officer's left side. Literally. Wow. Okay, guys, couldn't have been more.
0: So are there right tenants too?
1: (laughs) No way. Of course there aren't. (laughs) Oh, oh. And you know what? No, he's probably doing it because they also pronounce it that way in Australia too. So, and get Blackie's Australian. So he's doing that because Blackie's Australian. That makes more sense.
0: He's still being an obnoxious turd. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Cool. Glad I Googled that. I learned something today.
0: Yeah. I didn't even catch that. So I'm glad that you uh, brought that Mm -hmm. up. Me too. Very important detail.
1: Anyway, so, yeah, so they catch Mark, like, crawling away on the floor shortly after Blackie leads Mark to an abandoned police station. Um, apparently, like, the cops have moved to a better police station in Midtown. So this one has been, like, fully abandoned and, and they imply that, like, just nobody's even touching the building right now. So it's perfectly fine and even ironic to have, a, a like, a crime syndicate being run inside of it. He tosses Mark into an interrogation room, and then nearby, in an observation room, Blackie meets with Miles Warren and Norman Osborn. I think hmm. this is the- What? They hint- Yeah. <laughs> like, Norman hinted that he had a new scientist and uh, I guess, the last episode, yeah. episode before it, right? But this is our first full full awareness that it's Miles Warren. I think you could probably have figured it out in that episode from the hints, because what other scientist doesn't give a shit enough yeah. <laughs> than, than Miles Warren does, right? So- Makes perfect sense. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I like that it's Miles. I like that they introduced Miles a long time ago. I like that it was obvious that Miles was not a good guy for completely other reasons outside of Norman Osborne being interested in him. I don't know that the, like, mystery scientist was really, like, a necessary step along the way. But I'm glad they're finally connected and they're not pretending he's a mystery anymore. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I like him being involved in all of this, too. Well... Okay. Well, I'm going to get to that in a second because I I think he's just a good addition to this. But anyway, so it's Blackie, Miles Warren, and Norman Osborn together, right? Norman Osborn does say he was expecting Hammerhead based on their previous conversation, which we saw a couple episodes ago, yep. right? And Blackie is like, eh, Hammerhead's out. The new big man is in. Um And Norman's just like, mm, okay, well, whatever, weirdo. <laughs> Let's just do this, I guess.
0: So casual. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's funny because it's just like he doesn't <laughs> – as long as he's working for a crime lord, he doesn't care which crime lord he's working for, I, I guess.
0: But even just the way Blackie responds of just sort of like, eh, there's a new guy. Yeah, it is funny. <laughs> I mean, I
1: guess, like, none of this stuff is – they they're not writing contracts or whatever because they don't want a paper trail. So, so it's just like, right. okay, I guess – yeah. Weird, but fine.
0: <laughs> I mean, they're in the middle of, like, an underground gang war. Like, this is probably, like, a weekly occurrence. <laughs> some sort of, like, news that's been passed around, right? Like, and, and Blackie is kind of the perfect person to be doing some of this stuff because he just seems to roll with everything. And this this episode really illustrates that, like, like he's not really a loyal guy. Like, he's just surviving. I think he mentioned earlier in the episode that the – um. The bar that he manages is actually Montana. Yeah, you know, like he's just he's just doing whatever it takes, and and I love that for him, and I love that for us. <laughs> it makes him a fun character in the midst of a gang war.
1: I love him this episode because his attitude is constantly just like whatever, <laughs> okay. Let's do this. Like, yeah. they explain all
0: this Am I science paid?
1: stuff to him. And he's just like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, why are you telling me? I don't care. Like, whatever, pay me.
0: I delivered the key. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Give me my money. I'm good. Like,
1: whatever. <laughs> do whatever. Disembowel him in front of me for all I care. As long as I get paid, does not matter.
0: Yep. Wouldn't be the first time I've seen <laughs> shit. Right.
1: Right. It's great. It's so fun <laughs> to have these, like, varying degrees of, of criminality. I, varying degrees of, like, villainy yeah. and everything uh, involved in all this stuff.
0: Totally. He's like he is like if if these gang wars are sort of like, uh, I don't know, like he's he's like an atheist among all of this. Right. <laughs> like he does not worship at the altar of any of these crime lords. He does not care. It, it like none of it is is personal for him at all. In a way that's refreshing because it's so deeply personal to everyone else. Yeah. All of those crime lords fancy themselves like leaders and like, I mean, and lords. I mean, literally crime mm-hmm. lords, you know? And Blackie doesn't even seem interested in that. Yeah. Like, I don't even think Blackie would want to be a crime lord. <laughs> yeah. Probably too much work. Perfectly content to manage somebody else's business. Yeah. Too much work, man. Totally. He's still getting paid.
1: Yeah. So this is this is why I like Miles Warren being involved in this, is like when he explains what's going to happen, which he basically shares with Osborne that he reviewed Otto Octavius' work on Rhino and and Sandman as well and improved it. I think exclusively like Sandman because this is going to be armor that's like subdural is is what they're working on. And then I think they refer to like it went wrong and it created Sandman accidentally but this time it's going to be more controlled because instead of just bombarding a dude with granules that's going to form armor under his skin they're actually going to use like nanobots that's going to form an armor right so it's all it's all like following the through line of what we've seen before but what i love about miles yeah like being involved is that like he's so um blunt and so straightforward about this stuff but also like highly intelligent that it's just sort of like oh yeah that dumb thing i made it better let's do it like and he's it's just that's just it like and he has no no reservations about it he has like zero self-confidence yeah. about it he's a 100 percent narcissist clearly it's just like yeah I took this thing, and I'm great and smart, so I made it good, and we're going to do it, and it's going to (laughs) work. Like, I love having that involved in this.
0: I think Miles is a far scarier evil scientist or whatever than, like, the sort of caricature mad scientist that even, like, Doc Ock is, right? Because Miles is so calm and level-headed about everything that there seems to be zero emotion involved at all. And that is like weirdly inhuman. Yeah. And that makes him unsettling in a way that Doc Ock isn't even. Because Doc Ock is at least passionate about things. So you're like, okay, you're fucked up, but I get the passion behind what you're doing. And I've felt passionate before. But Miles is like so even keeled, it's unsettling and weird. Yeah,
1: it's it's so unnerving. It's just sort of, yeah, you're right. Like he obviously like cares about what he's doing To the extent that it's, like, him doing it because he clearly likes to do this creepy science work. But he's not passionate about it. And that's really inhuman to be so invested in this work and not actually be passionate about it. And it's strange and creepy. And, yeah, I agree. I love it. It's so unnerving.
0: Yeah, because he feels like the sort of, like, early 19th century scientist that would, like, cut somebody open just because he wanted to know what was inside. And then, like, once he knew, he was done. Like, it wasn't his life's work. He wasn't, like, super curious or, like, changing the world with it. He just wanted to know. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, And so he did it, and that was it. <laughs> and he's smart about it. And, he, you know, he he took his notes, and he saw what somebody else did and knew he could do it better. But none of it feels, like, um, zealous. It just feels so matter-of-fact. It's weird. Yeah. Yep. And he's so normal. He's just like a guy with a mustache and glasses. Mm-hmm just a dude huh
1: yeah right <laughs> right i dig it i fully agree the bottom line he created an armor that's better than any armor we've ever seen before that's also going to be like inside of somebody's body we know that mark is in the interrogation room so we can probably guess what's going to happen miles and blackie meet with mark they assure him that this procedure that he's going to undergo is uh painless But um, that doing so is the only way he'll be able to settle his debt with Blackie. So he has no choice. They also instruct him to take off his shirt, and he's, like, inhumanly huge. But, like, Mark is just this gigantic boy, and it freaks me out. Like, I don't know why it didn't bother me when he, like, had a shirt on. When it's off, it's just, like, those are some real – that's a big torso. Those are some broad shoulders.
0: Because (laughs) – I can tell you exactly why. Because when people are clothed, you can assume there's some sort of, like, bagginess or space or something. Like, the structure can be attributed to the clothing. But when he takes his shirt off, he's the exact same shape as when he has his shirt on. So, like, you can only assume that that shirt was skin tight and he's just ripped as hell. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Also, this is probably, like, a 17-year-old kid.
1: I think that's what makes it so creepy is that it's just like, are you okay? I don't think you're okay. Like this is this is this oh. is weird.
0: <laughs> I mean that sure, but like that's not even why I say that. I'm I'm saying like they're doing all of this oh. to like a 17 year old yep. kid. They're like throwing him in a room and telling him to take his clothes off so they can like inject <laughs> him with something and and like experiment on him. Like it's so weird.
1: <laughs> all <laughs> like, of it is
0: weird. And they're doing all these things that are like that aren't necessarily like. Obviously, the supernatural or not even the supernatural, the like sci-fi elements of it are what they are. But the the sort of like manipulation, the, the sort of abuse of power of it all, the power dynamic, that's all like real. It's just like it's wild to think that like these underground sort of like gangsters are like, here's this. I mean, this is all realistic, too. Like, I think that's what makes it so fucked up. Um, are just like, all right, I don't – yeah, you're a 17-year-old kid. Who fucking cares? Like, you owe me money. Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to fuck you up. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) That's what makes it so
1: creepy. Yeah. All of this is so – it happens really fast, but, like, so to a point where you almost, like, don't really have a second to think about it. But, yeah, when you do think about it, it's just like – this is messed. This is real messed up. This is really messed up. <laughs> what, what's Yeah, happening I mean, when right it's now?
0: surrounded by like superheroes and supervillains and like teenage super, like Spider Man sixteen and all that sort of stuff, like yeah, you you kind of just take it in stride. But the more you think about it, and the more time you spend with it, the more you're like,
1: Good God! Yeah, like they're really taking <laughs> advantage of of this kid who's just in over in in over his head, and it makes it all that more tragic when you think about the reality of it.
0: Totally. Yeah. Totally.
1: But yeah, unfortunately the 17-year-old boy is injected with an experimental procedure uh that turns him into Molten Man.
0: There you go. Good god. <laughs> what do you what do you
1: think of uh of the Molten Man design?
0: I think it's fine. I don't love I don't love it's it. It's a little weird. But Molten Man Yeah, but Molten Man in general I think is kind of weird and like even when I I don't I don't remember a lot about molten man but i i do remember reading comics with molten man so it's probably like early appearances he probably looks cooler in newer comics but i remember even then being like what are you like what like what are you like what am i supposed to understand you to be you know and i think this has a similar vibe where it's like are you like in this in this show they call it armor so like you just have Basically, like an exo, like, are you, is it a gold exoskeleton? Like, are you, like, you're solid though, right? But like, you you can't, you're not like a mercury. Like, I don't know. There's always something with with Molten Man, I think, for me, that's a little bit weird because I I feel like there's some dissonance in my brain where it's like, I feel like you should be sort of like Hydro Man, but like lava, but like gold lava, but you're not really any of those things. Well, and they do. So I don't, I guess I don't really have feelings. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I don't know. it's not, it's not great, but it's not yeah. bad. Well, you know, the me- it the, just is the, And me. the mechanics
1: of it are interesting because they do reference later that, like, the heat aspect of it wasn't really the intention. Like, it's not like they made armor that's supposed to make him, like, a man of lava. Like, they were just making subdural armor, and the molten man thing is almost kind of a misnomer just because he's so hot. <laughs> oh, that sounded weird to call the 70-year-old hot. I didn't mean like that. I mean temperature hot. Like, because he's,
0: like – We knew what you meant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, they, they made him very, very – um very temperature hot like but he's not literally lava so it's sort of like yeah then it makes it sort of like okay but what is that armor supposed to supposed to be then i don't understand
0: yeah i find him confusing in general so i'm maybe that's why i'm not bothered by what is a confusing look
1: yeah yeah, I do. I do think it's kind of interesting that like he he feels extra cartoony compared to everyone else. I think because of how his like he has fewer lines and the, the kind of interesting sort of shading that they have to do with him. And the fact that his eyes are just like these just big yellow holes in his head, you know, like
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't like I, I can say pretty definitively like I don't like that his like his face changes shape. Like, why can't he just look like Mark? I don't get it.
1: Yeah, I don't like his hair sticking up either. I think it looks a little silly. I do too. Yeah. It's weird. It's almost like they're trying to go, they're almost trying to go for like something anime inspired, but, but the way that like the show's designs are, they can't really like go that far for that. So like it ends up just looking kind of strange. Like it's kind of out of place for this show, but also like not different enough to be cool either.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's cool. I don't think it's ugly. I don't think it's... Like neat, but I don't think it's messy. Like I just I have like so very little opinion on it. (laughs) It's just sort of there. I I don't know. Like it's uh, confusing. I guess. Yeah. I don't. I don't. It's all
1: weird. I like the characterization and everything and some of the stuff they do with them. But yeah, the yeah. yeah the design is just like fine. Molten Man as a concept is fine. I'm glad that they if they were going to use Molten Man as a character, they did this kind of cool tragic backstory for him. I think that that really helps a lot to make him more interesting than what he would be otherwise if they just tried to adapt him straight up.
0: Yeah, I guess this is, this is the most appropriate time to mention that this is yet another instance of them sort of merging two characters together that aren't typically one in the same. Oh, right.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say earlier, because I think Molten Man's name is Mark Allen, but he's never been like Liz Allen's brother. They were just sort of like it's,
0: similar. I think like, I think... It's Mark, but it's a different last name.
1: I thought, oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha.
0: It's it's very similar though. Gotcha. <laughs> it's something like Galen or something like something very very. I thought close. it was
1: Alan, but spelled with an E instead of an A, or vice versa. But I, I maybe I, I don't know. There that. could
0: be multiple Molten Mans too.
1: Either way, Liz's brother isn't normally Molten Man, and I think like. The character who normally has a brother that has gambling issues is Betty Brant, too. So, like, they sort of pulled a bunch of, like, aspects to create this composite character, which is smart because I think he is a really compelling character in a lot of ways. So,
0: yeah, yeah, it's cool. Oh, Mark Raxton, who is the stepbrother of Liz Allen. Oh, I didn't know that. So, this is actually closer than I initially realized. I didn't realize
1: that. Okay, never mind. Huh
0: i mean like it's still not exactly the same though i think it's like well i guess we don't know that he could still be your stepbrother but yeah i don't think that's what we're meant it doesn't
1: (laughs) yeah like it doesn't matter so yeah
0: right yeah interesting yeah hello amazing friends we just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular and up patrons katie joe greg mike flux eric carl and lily
1: If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series,
0: and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes.
1: And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more
0: ultimately these are the types of things that we're gonna talk about anyway so recording it and making it available on patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do whatever tier you opt into thank you so much whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by we appreciate that too from your friendly neighborhood podcasters thank you so let's flash back to the burning building so Spider Man nearly gets Liz and MJ to safety, but a rafter collapses right in front of them and blocks the exit. And Molten Man at this point, like, knows they're there and he's like, oh, shoot, like, I care about those people. So he tries to help them get out, but because he's still Molten Man, only just like spreads the fire further. The rafter is made of wood, sets it on fire. Spider Man says, like, yo, stop doing that because you're making things worse, which is really tragic, and manages to protect himself and the girls and Blackie. But not prevent the whole place from basically like collapsing around them. So he gets all of them together, everything falls down, and Molten Man is like, No, oh God, like what did I just do? And starts like digging through the rubble trying to find out what happened to them. And then we flash back.
1: So back in the lab, Mark, who is now Molten Man, begins to panic at his transformation. Miles insists that he can, that Mark can control the transformation by staying calm and concentrating, because um, it is supposed to be an internal armor, right? So Mark calms down, and the transformation subsides, uh, but we do see Miles suspiciously reaching into his pocket, and we hear like a little beep sound at the same time that this happens, so you might be able to kind of glean where this is going to go. Miles uh, assures Mark that if he just stays calm, he'll be fine, and he also shares that the armor is renewable and indestructible. <laughs> So, like,
0: cool? Well, damn. <laughs> it's in you forever, buddy. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so Blackie ends up congratulating Miles on the accomplishment, and then they share a handshake. And we see that Miles passes Blackie something that looks like it could have probably been whatever Miles was fiddling around with in his pocket. So, interesting to note. <laughs> Blackie confirms that Mark's debt is settled, but, and this is where I'm... I, Think it's so fucked up what they do to this kid. Again, he's a 17-year-old kid with a very obvious gambling addiction that he's trying to get out of. And Blackie's like, here, have a hundred dollars, kid. Bet on that horse anyway. Fuck you, guy. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I mean, like you just settled his debt and then gave him a hundred bucks. You're got Blackie, you're cool, but you're not cool. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, but that keeps him I mean, they don't want they don't want him to stop gambling because that's how, Black, that's oh, how Blackie that's why he makes his money. But yeah, it sucks. It sucks
0: manipulating this I love Blackie like from the if I'm sitting if I'm if I'm solely looking at the criminal underground I love Blackie when Blackie affects things outside of the criminal underworld it sucks because I'm like ugh, you're like (laughs) anyway so yeah he gives he gives Mark 100 bucks says go ahead and bet on the race anyway and Mark leaves the station he's not molten man anymore life's good he thinks as much he's like wow this is great like My debt is settled. I got this cool armor, I guess. And I got a hundred bucks. I should quit while I'm ahead. He even says to himself, but then Mm. because he's an addict and literally no one has been able to help him yet, at least by the people he's been around for the past day, um, he's like, or I could just go ahead and bet on that race anyway. And... He does that. Poor kid. Poor kid. I know. Gosh, I, know. I feel bad
1: for him. I like him. Mark. I, know. I like him too. I mean, any the stuff, anything that we've, anything that we've seen of him, honestly, outside of the gambling stuff, like he's a really good guy, like a stand-up guy, like cares about his sister yeah. and everything. Seems like a real sweetheart. He's just got this one issue that, like, and nobody's really. It's not that nobody's helping him. Like, I know, obviously, like if Liz could do something, she would. She just doesn't really know what to do. But like, you know, nobody's available to help him. And it just sucks. It's so sad.
0: It's not, e- it's, it's certainly not easy for him to be like, I'm feeling these things again. Help me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's probably a part of him, like, I would assume for anybody that wants to believe, like, this is not a problem for me anymore. So I can just go bet on this. Like, problem solved, right? Like, there is no hole anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just like, generally being ashamed of something. He doesn't need to be ashamed of, but I can understand why he wouldn't want, to allow anybody to see him in a particular way like it's it's hard, you know like <laughs> i I totally get yeah. it the, and you don't always see the people who want to help you, right yep. so I get it i I feel really bad for I'm Mark too. it sucks it sucks
1: it's a good episode in in that way because they make the tragedy very clear and very visceral, I think, and the fact that we've spent yeah. so much time with mark we don't we don't we don't get a lot of time with him, obviously before this episode, but we get enough time with him to like i think warm up to him just because he's had so many nice moments but
0: i think it's also worth mentioning that even though we're saying like we feel bad for mark the episode doesn't make him like a sad sack or like a total fuck up like he's a really relatable guy with a really relatable problem like just as much as they don't like glorify in any sort of way his addiction like they don't caricaturize it they also don't like shit on him for it. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's, they do such a good job making it super, super duper human.
1: I agree. Yep. So unfortunately Mark is at the racetrack making his bet. He bumps into a trench coated green goblin (laughs) because <laughs> trench coats always equal bad guys in Spider-Man yep. shows, and I, know, I do really love the idea of just Green Goblin in his full Green Goblin garb, just like throwing on a trench coat and a hat and like some glasses that aren't even sunglasses, and just being like, "I'm good, <laughs> this is enough." <laughs> I'm human. <laughs> I am a person. <laughs> but you know, it's only for a second uh, that Goblin bumps into him, so I know Mark doesn't actually like recognize him or anything, um, and just makes his way to the stands. Spider-Man arrives, this is what we see with Spider-Man, what, what Peter's idea of Spider-Man being involved was, was just him, Spider-Man being able to show up at the, at the horse races and look for Mark, basically. I don't really know, like, what his plan was going to be once he found Mark, necessarily. We don't really get to see that happen, so it might have still been a bad plan, but at the very least, <laughs> he was basically just going to use his Spider-Man powers to be able to, like, find Mark at the horse race much easier than Peter Parker could, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think what the most likely scenario is, is that Peter recognizes that he, as Peter, has no ability to influence Mark. And I don't think Peter necessarily is super knowledgeable about addiction. Like, he's not really the one who noticed or helped or really had a grasp on what was going on with Harry. That was Gwen, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I fully expect that if, if this hadn't gone to shit, in this episode, he would have literally just watched and been like, I hope nothing bad happens. And then, like, he might have lost. But, like, from Peter's perspective, like, nothing bad happened. So I'll just keep an eye on him. Yeah. Like, I think that's probably literally as far as Peter gets.
1: And maybe he'd report it back to Liz or something like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, I found proof. And it's like, okay, now what do we do? Oh no, <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah, because I, Peter, I don't think Peter knows what to do. And that's probably why he didn't do it as Peter. Yeah. You know, he... He knows he has abilities as Spider-Man that he doesn't have as Peter, but I don't think he knows what to necessarily do in this circumstance. He just knows that Peter is not the one who can yeah.
1: help. And he is trying to help. He's trying to help his girlfriend in some way, even who doesn't know how, which I appreciate. He's trying to yeah. do something. I get it. I get it.
0: His heart's in the right place. Just doesn't know what he's exactly. doing. Exactly.
1: Uh, however, since Peter has arrived as Spider-Man, the goblin notices him like just uh goblin is just sitting in the in the audience in the stands, by the way, <laughs> reading a newspaper mm-hmm. or whatever, and just happens to see Spider-Man. So it's like, mm, OK, this will be fun.
0: <laughs> he notices him when he's like cleaning his glasses <laughs> or like looking yeah. at his glasses. Those glasses were they served a purpose. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> it's like, oh, look at that. Yeah,
0: there's a Spider-Man behind me.
1: Yep. So, uh, Mark's horse does start to get an early lead, but ultimately comes in last, unfortunately. So, of course, Mark is, like, pissed off that it seemed like he was going to win and then lost right at the end. Um, He gets so angry that he, like, kind of is, like, hitting the railing. But at the exact same time he does that, Goblin pulls out a remote control and activates Mark's Molten Man powers. So, his armor shows up, he becomes Molten Man, his clothes burn off. By, By the way, he has. did they just, like, give him a nice pair of like super villain underwear and boots that like always worked is that part that part of the armor (laughs) that like protrudes out of his skin when it's activated like what
0: (laughs) that that is a question that i had at the end of the episode because that gets even more confusing Uh at the end of the episode
1: yep 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 but anyway
0: i didn't question it until that point
1: (laughs) right exactly but anyway, yeah, he's Molten Man now, obviously seeing this, like, armored, like, heated man just standing there randomly is going to kind of freak people out. And he's freaked out, of course, because he's, like, trying to calm down and he can't. So he, like, tries to run away. Spidey sees that there's just, like, this weird, like, armored dude, like, running around now, kind of potentially causing mayhem. So he's like, okay, I guess I'm here, so I'm going to deal with that. But yeah, so he swings into action. And Molten Man handles Spidey pretty easily. But before he does, Spider-Man immediately recognizes his voice as Mark uh, right then and there. One one joke that I want to call out, and I have a little mini tangent to go on about it. Molten Man is like like kind of like somewhat orange and golden, right? So Spidey makes a little crack saying like, is that an Oscar with my name on it? I was thinking Emmy, but spiders can't be choosers. The reference prob- obviously being that like this is a TV show and TV shows win Emmys, right? So I was curious If Spectacular Spider-Man has ever won an Emmy and they actually have never, they never won an Emmy the entire run of the show.
0: Were they nominated for the first season? They were never
1: nominated for any Emmys. Oh, okay.
0: That would have made the joke so much better. They,
1: yeah, I. But they did want. I think they want wanted an Emmy, obviously, well, and I think that they sure. deserve to <laughs> at least be nominated. They were nominated for two Annie Awards, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. The for the first season. That's cool. For the first season, Sean Galloway was nominated for Best Character Design, which makes sense because this show has really unique character designs. Um, oh, look
0: at that, everybody! Y'all can shut up about these character uh, designs well, because this is a. Uh, Annie nominated show for characters. They did.
1: They did lose. <laughs> they did lose to Kung Fu Panda, Secrets of the Furious Five,
0: which feels. Wait, unf- those were not designed for that. That's TV my show. thing.
1: That feels really unfair, and I'm gonna have this issue for uh, like for another another couple of things that I'm gonna say in a second. Is that it's like. I, under, like, I understand, like,
0: obviously... They're adapted for the TV they show. They
1: are. I mean, and, and, and you could argue that, like, yeah, Spider-Man's also adapted from the comics. But the thing is, the TV show has the exact same style in animation as the movie. So, like, they might have created... Right.
0: The adaptation isn't redesigning it for a new iteration. Right, it's the exact... It's redesigning it for the confines of the budget they're making the TV show with.
1: And that seems extremely unfair to me because it's 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 the same. I mean, it's a similar case, I think, for the for the second season, a storyboarder was was nominated first for best storyboarding for the final episode of this of this show actually um they were nominated mm-hmm. and they lost out to an, to an episode of mary madagascar or not i guess that was a special that was like an animated madagascar special which is again just like a tv adaptation of a movie which is sort of like again i get it and storyboarding makes a little more sense i guess than character design Yeah, that
0: one i don't have as much of an issue with. but it's still weird <laughs> to me that
1: like it's in both cases it lost out to like a cgi animated show that's an adaptation of a movie like it seems it just seems sort of weird and it seems like there's kind of an imbalance there and another
0: my issue is with the fact that the character designs were nominated for characters that were designed for a movie not that those characters are cgi well no i
1: mean i'm not i'm not saying that like that's the issue but i think it's sort of like I think it's sort of an an interesting through line because there's also another thing when I was looking up to see if, if it won any Emmys, even though this show wasn't nominated for any, the uh, the current 2017 Spider-Man show was actually nominated for an Emmy. They didn't win. They were actually nominated for sound editing. So it's a little different. But then they lost out to another Madagascar spinoff called All Hail Julian. So like, what the fuck oh, is yeah. with these? Like, like I think it's still interesting that it's all CGI animated stuff. Like not saying that that's a difference. It's just like a weird through line that it's like, <laughs> like 2D animated shows are losing out to those. And they're all always like, adaptations of movies and I think it's Madagascar Madagascar and Kung Fu Panda are they both dreamworks too yes it's just I mean it's like I don't think there's a conspiracy or whatever it's just like bizarre that like that keeps happening to Spider-Man shows when they're up for awards
0: I mean there there are certainly things in animation right now that you could cry conspiracy over and there are legitimate complaints especially when it comes to awards for animation that are legitimate, right? Like, it is damn near impossible to win major awards against Disney and Pixar Animation. It is man-you-fucking-mental to win over those two. And then usually when somebody does, it's like DreamWorks, which is also an incredible studio. And so, like, there are legitimate concerns there, but I think th- that tends to have more to do with the reputation and power of those companies. Yeah. And less to do with the fact that they are doing any particular thing at any given moment. And you know I'm a Pixar stan. So, like, it's not an indictment on, like, Pixar getting things they're not worthy of getting. It's that it never feels like there's a fair shake. So, there's definitely things you can sort of, like, poke and prod at. And there are definitely sort of, like, conspiracy is a strong word, but, like, complaints about how those awards are given. But I think that's the same thing for, like, anything, right? Like, awards in general. I'm just still baffled that and and i don't know about I don't know enough about the i don't know anything about the annies i should i should say that should be my qualification. I'm just shocked that characters that character models not designed for a TV show can win a character design award
1: yeah i mean, I guess the, their argument might be that I'm sure that show has new characters in it, yeah. But it's still done in the same style as characters that were already designed for movies, and still using those characters from the movies. And then it's put up against shows that had to create new character designs wholesale. Or even if it's like, like in the, in this case, you know, Spider Man obviously is adapted from Spider Man comics, but it's still creating an entire style for that entire world that you're building. And that just seems. It, I, think- I don't like stack. I don't like comparing those two and like putting those up against each other. It seems really imbalanced to me.
0: No, that's. I think that's where you're. I think that's on the right track. I think that's uh, that's the best way to put it. Is like, a- and that's the analogy, right? Like, you have movies, animated movies, done by smaller studios, doing incredibly innovative things, and they're they're doing things that are super innovative in obvious ways, not beating out companies like Disney or Pixar doing incredible things but not necessarily in an obviously innovative way. And that feels like what this is, where you have a show with a very distinct style, unique only to itself versus other things that might have a unique style, but not to themselves. Like there's already a bunch of Madagascar stuff. There's already Kung Fu Panda stuff. And Kung Fu Panda doesn't have an incredibly distinct style, you know, like no offense to the the people who make those movies. I love those movies. They're really well done but it's it's a very um it's a very hip style, yeah. you know <laughs> like I would... this is more of a risk of a style and more of a a unique unto its own thing that you would think it would get more of a nod, but I mean, I don't know, I don't know how much of that stuff is weighted based on like technic like weird technical stuff i don't know about or if it's totally political i think that stuff usually i I think
1: that stuff usually tends to be political because i I feel the same way a little bit about like i i haven't seen the, the the other madagascar thing that was being referenced so i don't maybe that is like an impeccably boarded like special maybe but i know that this show is incredibly good at its boarding and it seems it seems frustrating to just have like another madagascar well, thing be the winner like like come on you've got yeah, enough. yeah <laughs> that's
0: hard though because i but that's exactly it like you you have no idea and neither do i how much like what they're boarding yeah is, you know what i mean true. like i know how many boards and again different thing i know how many boards go into a pixar movie you know and it's you know so i i, I have no clue i have no idea yeah their boarding could be revolutionary and i have no idea yeah i doubt it
1: I doubt that's. I guess I mean I might just be looking a little too much down on Madagascar stuff just because it's like oh another Madagascar spinoff or whatever. Maybe it's really great. I don't know. Um, it's just it's a good show. (laughs) You know, I've watched it. It's funny. Okay, it's just you know it's just it's just strange. That was just a fun rabbit hole that I fell down just because of that one joke.
0: But it does suck. It it it. does
1: suck that the show never won any won like any awards. Like. Yeah, such a bummer.
0: That's the ch- that's that's the forever story of awards. Though, oh yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the awards are dumb. Are so many things that deserve recognition that don't. They're get it.
1: often always dumb and bad, and we shouldn't care about them, but yet we do. So that's just yeah. how it is. Oh well. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. So after we got all 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 that out of the way, uh, we flash forward back to the future. Molten Man is continuing to pull up the rubble. In this uh, fiery chaos. And he finds Spidey, the girls, and Blackie uh, underneath the rubble in a web cocoon, which is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. But yeah, MJ reaches out in order to be pulled up by Molten Man, but Spidey shouts out not to touch him because he's red hot.
0: And we get an MJ flashback.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I really like, and I didn't even like catch on immediately the first time I watched this, how... They were setting up each flashback, but I just love that they do that. I know we already talked about it a little bit, but I just love that each flashback is specifically for somebody in the yeah, time. Awesome. Yeah.
1: And it's always like they have a little moment before they flash back to that like kind of the yeah. flashback. It's really well handled. It's hard to do that kind of stuff. So I really commend them for being able to put that together in a way that feels that like works and feels consistent.
0: Totally. And I love this flashback. Dude, it's so good. So Mary Jane arrives at the Allens' place, and Liz is the one that answers, and she actually attempts to shut the door on Mary Jane, which is like, whoa, uh, okay, and she says, like, Mark's not here, and MJ's like, well, fine, like, then you and I can talk, and Liz is like, not about it. She's like, hey, I am fully aware that you were trying to distance me and Peter so that Peter and Gwen could get together, and... I don't know that I am really feeling your sort of unrelationship thing with my brother. Like that's kind of weird. And that's when Mary Jane is like, "Yeah, but my unrelationship, my feelings haven't been unfeelings for a while and I'm really worried about him. I think he might be gambling again, which is like kind of a signal for Liz that like, wait a second, if MJ knows about his gambling problem, Mark had to have told her, which means Mark obviously also cares enough about MJ that it's not just an unrelationship. And I think so much of this very short flashback does so much work in both telling us exactly what the relationship between Liz and MJ was and now is, having not really ever seen them interact very much before.
1: It's great. Yeah, because I I honestly forgot about the scene when we've been watching this show, it actually makes a lot even even lends things like to the to the past, I think, that where they've sort of maybe subtly referenced it, but we just like never really picked up on it because we didn't know that this is how Liz viewed MJ because back in Gangland when they're at that at the Valentine's Day dinner and like Liz is pleading to Sally to sit with them we're just like oh yeah because she feels awkward because Gwen is there and Peter's like into Gwen but it also makes sense if she's that feeling that nervous about being there if also her brother who would be the other person that she could lean on is into someone that she doesn't like who is also trying to get Peter and Gwen together it's sort of like like I didn't and it makes sense I just didn't even think about Liz like being aware of that at all but it totally makes sense
0: it also adds context to Liz refusing to dance with them which at the time just felt like I don't want to dance because Peter's not here well no also I don't want to dance with you two because I don't fucking get you <laughs> yeah and I don't want to be around I you love it. like <laughs> I love it it makes a lot of sense and I remember even in that moment when she um when they asked her to dance she's like I didn't even think you guys like this kind of stuff like there's clearly some sort of value that she has in her relationship with Peter that isn't reflected in MJ and Mark's relationship that she finds really important. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because it hasn't been called out. But like you said, when you look sort of back on it, you're like, oh, it kind of was there all along, wasn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah. It's really, it's really well handled. Like It doesn't feel like it's an afterthought either because it's so important to this episode no. and getting them where they need to be too. So it's like, oh, okay. This just sort of explains and fleshes out a little more stuff that we just hadn't been privy to yet. Um and it all it all feels so natural. It's so it's so well done. Also, Liz has a kitty cat. That makes me like her even more. <laughs> <laughs> She's like the only character on the show with a pet. <laughs> First of all, oh yeah, she is. Isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, at least at least huh. that we've seen. Well, sure. Also, I think there's just something to, like. Mary Jane and Liz, like, in Liz's apartment when Liz is, like, literally wearing nothing but, like, a shirt, like, (laughs) it's, (laughs) (laughs) like, okay, girls, maybe you should just not deal with these, like, shitty men that you've been dealing with Um, and just hang out together for a bit (laughs) because maybe you'd like it.
0: The all, yeah, the all girls episode. Right? I've asked for it. (laughs) Right? We keep getting closer and closer to it as all of them sort of like understand each other more. Uh huh.
1: Almost there. We're so close. That'll be the series finale, man. That's next week <laughs> or two week in two weeks.
0: <laughs> Look, I'm not even responding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, so they're they're kind of on more even terms now, which is cool. Then we flash forward back to the billiard hall again. Spidey gets Blackie and the girls out of the building, um, and he tells them all to run. Liz and MJ refuse, however, surprising Spider-Man that they know Molten Man, and I love I love Spidey's exasperated like, ah, you do. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just makes things harder.
0: <laughs> but I but I love that because earlier in the episode he specifically was like, I hope they don't find out. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't love the, I mean okay I like it because it is something that was brought up earlier that then comes back. I will clarify, I don't love when male characters omit information to female characters because it will protect them, but in this case because it was something that he was like, "Oh my gosh, everything is happening right now. Like, I just got to get them safe. Hopefully, we can get it all like figured out and it won't even be a big thing." And then realizes like that never could have been a possibility in the first place. That I like. Yes. Yes. That realization where it was like, "Ugh, okay." <laughs> Yep. Fine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what was I even doing? <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, so multi-man actually overhears this whole little exchange that they know who he is, and then he kind of gets upset that like, oh god, they know they know that I mark. This is terrible. Um and he gets upset about it. So uh he tells Spider-Man to get away from the girls so the two of them can just fight without endangering them. And Liz and MJ are like, Hell no, we're staying here. We get uh, Liz and Mark like give like um, refer to each other by like what's clearly their kind of um, like very brother and sister nicknames. Like Mark calls yeah. Liz Lizzie, and she calls Mark Marquito. It's really it's like sad, but also like even more dimension. Like that. They did have a tight sibling relationship. Like, that's probably the mm-hmm. names that they called each other when they were, like, little kids.
0: Um, I also love that she calls her older brother Little Mark.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, he has her older brother. That's so <laughs> funny.
0: Yeah. So the fact that she calls him Marquito is really funny to me. I mean, they're, like, a year apart, so it's not that big a deal. Yeah. But it's, it's it's still a, like... Older siblings are still older siblings, so I, <laughs> I really Especially like. Especially
1: since he's like huge, so it's like also ironic. Well,
0: yeah, <laughs> yep. I'm sure on any regular day, he probably doesn't love that she calls him that. Yeah, that's just like
1: one of those, one of those like kind of like poking fun at you type teasy names. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, so they're trying to appeal to Mark, you know, shouting that he doesn't need to fight Spider-Man. It's all really sad, but. Molten Man is like, I do need to fight him. I'm a tragic villain now. Uh, and that cues another flashback.
0: I loved this, though, because I, I think he is a tragic villain. But the way that they actually show this, they make it confusing for exactly a moment in a really purposeful way. Because they say, you don't need to fight Spider-Man. We, to this point, have no idea why the two are fighting. Oh, that's a good call. Mark's,
1: yeah, I didn't think about yeah, that. And
0: so Mark says, no. I do have to. And so for just a moment, you're like, wait, why though? Like what, like you still, like we have no idea what your problem with Spider-Man is. And so I really like that. Like they don't just like, he's not just rampaging and you kind of can, you kind of have that sense, but then he makes this insistence, Like, no, I have to. And you know that it's okay. It's definitely not just rampaging. Cause he's fully conscious of whatever he's doing. He's not just mad. Um, and I love that very brief moment where you're like, "Wait a second, what do you mean, though?"
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't even think about that. Oh, now I feel bad for making fun of them. Yeah, I didn't even think about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is a tragic villain, but like, yeah. it, I just—he's uh, not being—he's not
1: being overdramatic. Like for him, this is his. Yeah, he's one not just goal. raging. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then the fact that the next, you know, like you said, we flash back and it begins to explain itself is just another instance of them doing these things like in such a well-organized way. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, you're so right. Yeah, because what we see in the flashback is is Molten Man going back to the billiard hall, confronting Blackie about how he can't turn his powers off, um, and Blackie simply responds that Mark agreed to the terms in order to clear his debt, okay? Molten Man's like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> <laughs> he readies to attack Blackie, and then Green Goblin. And
0: Blackie's like, oh, shit. Well, like, as he should like,
1: be, Like, and he would uh-huh. deserve it, too. Um, yep. But Green Goblin interjects to share the truth about the remote, which is essentially that Molten Man never, never had any control over his powers. It was always the remote. They were just tricking him. It's really – it's so silly, but, like, it, it only makes sense because this is, like – green goblin and also miles warren that we're talking about which is sort of like well you know if we made you think that you had control how could we test this remote so we had to just let you go and then like randomly you know get you get get your uh turn your powers back on just to see if it would all work and it's like it makes sense in green goblin logic because he like just as uh, fucking loves chaos. And it also makes sense for like Miles Warren's project too, just because he's a sociopath and likes to see people in pain for the sake of his science too. So <laughs> yeah, I
0: think Miles exactly. Miles is a scientist, right? So for him, this is, this is science for green goblin. I think it's even more. It's like, how can I emotionally manipulate you into doing literally whatever yeah. I want? And like, if you're the one who, Who is calm amidst the chaos? You are the one people turn to, and that's kind of exactly what Molten Man does. When he can't turn his powers off, he goes back to the people who were calm while he while while chaos is happening around him. Yeah,
1: because they very easily could have told him if they wanted to. It's controlled by a remote. We're gonna go out and test this in public just to see if it works when we're just when we're outside of here with a longer range. And like it would have sucked for him, but like it would you know it would have made sense. But no, this is the more traumatic thing to do,
0: and they want to test it. It would have been harder to control him. Though. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Like they're able to test this in more traumatic circumstances in a way that like makes him controllable in the long game. Like it's really clever, and it's also like just just sucks so much. Like it's so what they do to Mark is so awful like it's yep. so awful
0: it sucks
1: yeah yeah. Goblin proves this by turning Mark's powers off and, it's, and he's just like oh thank you so much but then I think he like immediately turns that back on again and it sh- looks like it's yep. really painful for him to transform to just to add insult to injury of, in all this and he's like oh yeah you could have this remote and you could have total control of your powers if you just defeat Spider-Man and just completely destroy Spider-Man there you go. <laughs> yeah, there's your answer.
0: <laughs> that explains it. I mean that's that's that <laughs> that moment of like, why? Why do you need to destroy Spider-Man so much? Bam. There it is.
1: Uh-huh. Multi-man's confused and he's like, why do I have to go after Spider-Man? Like, what? And goblin shares that others have simply tried to distract Spidey. And obviously that hasn't worked. And we've seen that for basically the whole last two seasons. Is that what it's what most villains have tried to do? So it's like, no, I just gonna I just made someone who's really powerful who can just kill him. Like, why, why, why not? (laughs) Just just do that. Mm -hmm. Molten Man, of course, he's he's marked, just a 17-year-old kid. He doesn't want to kill Spider-Man. And even like sites that Spidey has saved Liz before, which I love that little bit of continuity that it's like He has a very particular personal reason for not wanting to dislike Spider-Man for any reason. So to ensure his cooperation, the Green Goblin threatens to make Mark's transformation permanent. So he's like, damn it, I guess I have to. It sucks. It all sucks.
0: (laughs) Yep. So shortly after this, Spider-Man arrives at the Billiard Hall to confront Molten Man. This is all still in the past. We're still flashed back. Spidey begins by offering help first, and he cites Dr. Connor, saying like, I know somebody who can help you. But Molten Man refuses, saying, I'm tired of people trying to help. I'm tired of doctors. And he begins the rampage in the billiard room that leads to the rampage we see at the beginning of the episode, which, of course, means we flash forward.
1: So in that flash forward, outside, Spider-Man continues his attempts to uh, offer Molten Man help. But Molten Man just grabs him, (laughs) locks him in a very hot bear hug. Um, Again, normally saying hot bear hug would be, like, actually hot. But in this case, it's, like, temperature hot because Spider-Man is being burned by Bolton Man's bear hug. (laughs) Um, so, so, So Liz and MJ try to intervene... But uh, Molten Man just tells them, leave it alone. It's none of your business. I just got to kill this guy. And this gives us a brief flashback to Liz and MJ. I think this is Liz's flashback, right? I think it's from her point of view specifically.
0: Yeah, I think technically it's yeah. hers. But they're both, like, standing right in front of Right.
1: Like, there. I think it's it's the zoom in on her face that brings us to this. But it doesn't matter because it's, it's Liz and MJ both, like, they're arriving at the pool hall. I'm assuming that, like, they're there because Liz knows that That's where Mark has gambled for. So they were on their way there anyway. But then they overhear that there's chaos going on inside of it. And instead of like being freaked out by it, they hear Mark's voice from the outside. So that's when they're like, oh, my God, we have to go in there. It's Mark being involved in this. Um, They go in and this kind of brings us back to the opening scene of the episode because they go in. They find Spidey and Molten Man kind of beginning their fight. They hide behind the bar. And this
0: is exactly where we started. The timelines have merged. There will be no more flashing forward and back. Thank goodness! <laughs> Thank goodness! <laughs> and it makes sense because we're we're rapidly approaching the end of this, so everything is kind of converged, um, and a conclusion is on the way. Uh-huh. In the
1: present day, Molten Man releases Spidey from the bear hug and just tosses him into the bar's facade. Lizzie tries to appeal to Mark again, but he still refuses. Uh, in this case, stating that it's pretty straight up that if he defeats Spider Man, he can have his life back. Um, He even says his signature phrase, it's a lock. And she gets very upset at this, replying just like what Blackie did before, saying it's always a lock with you, Mark. And she insists that he stop gambling your life away, Um, which I didn't love that line because that was like a little too on the nose. But I appreciate that she's going through something and is going to say something like that. So it's fine.
0: Oh, I was fine with it because he literally is. I mean, like, gambling is literally the thing yeah, he's literally that is, is fucking up his life. Yeah. Like, uh, I didn't think it was, like, meant to be clever. I think it was meant to be quite literal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it
1: is. It definitely is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just like that they they brought that moment around to a totally different person in a totally different context. Yeah. Um, With kind of a very different meaning. And I, I really like that. Mm-hmm.
1: I like that a lot. As well, I honestly didn't really catch that that she was um, repeating what Blackie said. But I love that that like I love that that was the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, seeing this opportunity in their conversation, Spidey does what what Spidey always does, and he just just kicks the supervillain right in the middle of a heart to heart. Kick him. Just
0: kicks him. When
1: in doubt, <laughs> just kick him.
0: Kick him. <laughs> Talking is is fruitless, girls. <laughs> just kick him. Yeah,
1: I mean. I understand it, I guess, a little more in this case because, like, Molten Man is yeah. literally molten hot. So, like,
0: yeah. Well, and he can see that what's happening isn't working. He's, he's like 12 feet away from
1: Yeah. Him. <laughs> this still isn't the worst that we've seen of this kind of situation. But, yeah, so he kicks Molten Man away from the girls. He uh, taunts him into chasing him around the street to, again, try to kind of get him away. But also get him where he needs him to be, which in this case is uh, on a fire hydrant. So he eggs him on further. Spidey actually manages to trick Molten Man into, like, just straight up tackling that fire hydrant, ties him up with his webbing into the blasting water that's coming out of this broken fire hydrant, which, of course, is, like, going to cool him down. And then watching from a distance, Goblin uses his remote to just go ahead and depower Mark.
0: I find this really interesting because Mark will know that he's depowered because Goblin used the remote or someone did. Spider-Man and the girls don't know that. Yeah, You know, for all Spider-Man knows, the water works. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, water is just his weakness. Cool. Like, yeah, that's yeah. true. And it, it makes sense that he would go to that. <laughs> but, I mean, unless Mark clarifies this at some point, Spider-Man's going to walk away thinking this is the solution.
1: Yeah. And I doubt that he would clarify it because he never, I don't, he, spoiler for the next episode, but like, it's very clear that. Spidey does not know that Green Goblin was ever involved in this, which is a thing that Mark could have easily told somebody if he wanted to, but I don't think that he does.
0: Yeah, and I think that makes sense based on how Mark hasn't necessarily reached out for help Yeah, in the way, like in, in all that we've seen of him, he has not reached out for help or told anybody the specifics of what's going on. So why would he start? Yeah. Well, you know, and it's
1: also like, you know, he's, he's probably terrified of the green goblin for all the shit that he's been through. Like he's been, he's been through a very traumatic experience and goblin is very intimidating. So like goblin did tell him straight up to not tell anybody or or at least not tell Spider-Man that goblin was around at all and involved in this. And I think he's going to keep to that, not because he wants to keep to his word, but because like a goblin is the only key to ever, curing him or whatever but also be like he doesn't want to piss him off further like and get get on goblin's bad side
0: yeah he's a teenager embroiled in like a gang war <laughs> like, yeah whether he wants to be or not you know yeah exactly exactly also he doesn't have all that much time to tell them things,
1: right right <laughs>
0: as we will see in a couple scenes yeah yeah <laughs> but we get this scene that is meaty but was uh unexpected it's, uh, it's not a continuation of anything else we saw in the episode, though it does invi- involve Miles, so I guess it's a continuation of that, but we cut to the ESU lab, and Kirk Connors is there, and he confronts Miles Warren about research that he found just laying out in the open. He says, Miles, uh, it seems that you are planning to test subdural armor on human test subjects, and you shouldn't do that. Don't, don't do that. And well,
1: Miles, Miles is like, oh, yes, uh planning. Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know. Yeah, we know he's already done it. <laughs> but Kurt doesn't know that. So he's like, you can't do this. And Miles is like, mm, I can do this. And Kurt's like, you're not going to do this in my lab. And Miles is like, oh, but is it your lab? Because I think the board gave control to me. Hmm. And so Kurt's like, the board will not like what you are doing. So I don't care if it's my lab or not. And then, here's our bomb drop, Miles responds to this threat by revealing that he knows that Kurt is actually the lizard. He shows Kurt the research on his computer that has to do with the lizard DNA, and shows Kurt a picture of the lizard that Peter Parker would have taken. Mm-hmm. So, yikes. <laughs> it's I, it's wild to me
1: that the lizard in this show has appeared in exactly one episode, And yet has been such this like looming cloud over the whole show and has come up in so many different ways. Like it's the lizard has had such a premise on this show, like not just because Kurt Connors himself is the lizard, but like the existence of the lizard has been so like always kind of in the background and causing problems to all these characters. Like despite having exactly there's one time that Kurt has ever transformed into the lizard and they have yet to go back to that well again, unlike many other shows, which he just like transforms like the Hulk. This one, it's like, no, that was a big moment in his life that happened, and that's just going to keep fucking haunting him forever now. And I Um, love the way they handle that.
0: And in a significantly worse way because of Peter Parker.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right, because otherwise there would have been no photographic evidence of the lizard even existing. Like, there would be no dots to be connected without Peter being involved in this.
0: Right. The research could exist. (laughs) but there wouldn't have been the evidence that Peter Parker provided to the entire city.
1: Oh my God. That's so, that's so true. Which is the whole reason that Martha doesn't like Peter. He will never live that down. That was like his worst. It was like his two worst mistakes was like letting the, the, the guy who killed uncle Ben go and taking pictures of the lizard. Like those are the two worst things he's ever done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's wild because we've seen that this, was going to happen at some point so early on in this season Mm -hmm. and it finally happened. You know? You almost forget
1: about it. That like, I mean, you know that Miles is a presence, but you almost forget about like the power that Miles kind of has over Kurt um and the hints that they that they led to that. Because it's been a while since they really acknowledged it too.
0: Craven feels so long ago, doesn't he? Right? Yeah. Yeah. He really does. It's wild.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff. Well Almost done with this one because we cut back to back outside the billiard room where Blackie is watching the fire department hose down the destroyed building. Um, and We see Liz and MJ unfortunately watch Mark getting apprehended by the police. Peter arrives and he's like, oh, Liz, I heard from the bugle. And Liz, like, lashes out at him because she assumes that he's there to take pictures. And she's like, oh, I'll take all the pictures that you want. And he's like, that's not why I'm here. And it's really sweet. And they comfort each other. And it's nice. It does, like... I feel like say something about their relationship that Liz's first assumption is that he's there to take pictures, which I think honestly checks out considering she has always been very understanding about his job at the Bugle, but like it's always been very clear that his job at the Bugle comes first. So like it does suck that you have to think that of your partner. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. Well, and there's, they're Rocky. I mean, they didn't, I I wouldn't presume that they just like fully made up because he brought her a rose. Like she just... They they didn't really officially break up or anything. They're just... Uh, they're probably just fighting. Like, yeah. that's probably the best way to put it right yeah. now, you know? And the fight hasn't ended. <laughs> God,
1: what a bad time for Liz. Because she's, like, has a shitty boyfriend, and now her brother's, like, literally a supervillain. God, I feel so yep. bad for her. Like, she's trying. She's great. She's just, she's just trying to live her life,
0: man. <sighs> yep. Well, the episode ends in such a sad <laughs> oh, way. God. In, like... A really fucking, there's something about this, you know, it gives me a similar feeling. And I've brought this up on this show specifically with regards to this series. It gives me a similar feeling to the, like, being in the crowd when something horrible is happening and not being able to do anything about it. It's not the exact same thing, but being audience to this moment, knowing more than everybody in the situation and knowing the way that this is going to hurt Liz and MJ mm-hmm. and knowing that Mr. Devereaux doesn't know he's hurting them. Yep. It's like a similar, it gives me a similar like uh, icky feeling. So basically what happens, it ends with Liz and MJ at a dress rehearsal and they're delivering, I think even the same lines. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. But this time with like a very devastated passion, I suppose you would call it. Yeah. And Mr. Devereaux is like, yes. Yes that's what i was looking for and he's like celebrating them because he says now i can feel the pain not realizing that like they're just fucked up right now like that's they're not acting yeah. mr Devereux. Yeah. like they just went through some shit mr Devereaux. Yeah, <laughs> you know that they know that and there's no reason for them to tell him that yeah. And so you're just watching it like, oh my
1: god. They even do like they like a they they have a glance at the spotlight uh, that Mark that used to be Mark's job. Yeah. <laughs> and that le- and that's like
0: they're not acting
1: the final shot of the episode. <laughs> like, yeah, it's devastating, man. Ugh I feel like this It's weird. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it next week. I feel like this arc like is like the arc of pain. because like, it's just like de-
0: it's, devastating yeah, it's stuff painful.
1: happening to characters.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Is, yep, yep, yep. I think that's part of why it feels like a um a final arc of a season, but not necessarily of a series. Because yeah. I wouldn't expect a series to just be like, we're going to devastate you for the next three episodes, and then bye. <laughs> yep.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, the finale is going to be happy because it's Peter and Mary Jane's wedding, remember? So it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
0: I'm going to edit in crickets. <laughs> <sighs>
1: uh, um, yeah. Space of the episode for this one. I just got uh, Norman's epic side eye that he has upon briefly learning that the, big, that the big man he thought was the big man is not the big man anymore. He's just like, this is annoying. Anyway, back to business. Mm-hmm. It's just for a split second, but it's great.
0: <laughs> so irritating. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's good. It's good.
0: You've got some drag queen uh, eyebrows, and I've never noticed right? that before.
1: Yeah, like, the, the, just the wild, they're so long, and, like, the wild arch of them is, like. Oh, yeah. N- and, and like, nobody else on the show looks like that either.
0: No, very high arches. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's, such a, he's, an, he's an interesting design for a character.
0: Yeah, but it's not, like, uh, outland. I mean, aside from his and Harry's hair, um, mm-hmm. it's not outlandish. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, different and, and very sharp. Yes,
1: very sharp, very sharp.
0: I don't know what else is there to to say about this anything.
1: Um I do think I you know what we didn't say at the beginning. I said this was the new arc, but I didn't say this is this is specifically like the drama 101 arc.
0: I'm sure. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I do think that I do think that this arc part of like the whole like we were just like oh it's the arc of pain, right? Because we've seen the next episode, but I do think that this episode plays a lot on like Shakespearean tragedy and stuff because it is a lot of Yeah. Like kind of like very not over the top. It's just like big, epic like familial drama that is happening, which I think is really fun. And and I that's that's a great way to sort of reflect the arc in this because you know it's also the it's the end of the season anyway. So obviously a lot of stuffs going to come to a head in really big ways just because it's the end of the season. But also like it justifies itself even more by being the drama arc because this is where all the big bombastic emotions come to play like they would on stage. So.
0: Makes sense. Uh-huh. Makes sense.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. I like this episode. I like this arc. I like the end of this season. Sad that it's the end of the show, but I think it's good stuff. And we've got some good stuff coming up too.
0: Indeed. Well, if, if this episode and our discussion of it made you sad through all that tragedy, you can cheer up with all the stuff on our Patreon. It's all great. And it'll make you smile. You can find that stuff at patreon.com slash walloping Check out the tears we have. Check out the stuff that comes with each one. The first tier is $1, and you get almost everything on there. Um, So check it out. And if you would like more of us just individually, whatever we happen to be doing at the time, uh, where can people find what you're doing, Derek?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media from a positive lens.
0: What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooly, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. If you like Pokemon things, you can find me talking about Pokemon here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network on a podcast called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where... My co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. If you are a book person or a video game person or a dabbling in pop culture person, you can also check me out on a podcast called Novel Gaming, where my friends Katie, Vicky, and I talk about everything we're playing, reading, uh, and can't get out of our heads. If you would like more of me and Derek talking about stuff, you can check out our monthly podcast, Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon where we watch every Pixar film in chronological order. Our episode on A Bug's Life is out now, available wherever you get your podcasts. You can find everything we do on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com. You can follow Walloping Web Snappers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where we post all these wonderful side-eye-full faces of the episode, uh, and all sorts of other goodies at Walloping web Pod. You can also email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com for whatever you want. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Doing so is the best way to help us, actually, because the more traffic we get on ratings and reviews, the easier it is for people to find us. And if you like what we're doing, somebody else will, too. Finally, next week, we will be back. With another episode where Spidey gets trapped in a prison while his school play has its opening night, which is also the name of the episode. Yes, it is. See you then. Bye.